We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment and also the Media Giant Effect. And I'm first excited to welcome the program my co-host, Alan Porter of Strategic Wealth Strategies. Alan, thanks for stopping by, man. And we're excited about this celebrity segment we're going to be doing with you because we're going to talk about their careers and everything. And you get you have some fun talking to some cool celebrities and different people in this segment. How are you, Alan? I'm doing great. Glad All right. Glad, glad to kick it off. We're going to kick it off with Philip. And I'm going to start out, Philip. You know, you're pretty much, your story is pretty interesting in a lot of ways. It seems like film and movies have been something part of your life. Is that true, Philip, from the start that you loved? Yeah, I've been part of the TV industry since I was a young boy, making, you know, home videos on VHS tapes back in the 80s. So it's just, it just was something. And did you ever think it would come to this point where you're, what you're doing now? now yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, I detoured a bit, went out and got a college degree and a real job for a while, but always ended up back in the storytelling world. And, and now, uh, you know, I've had uh, a long career of over 20 years on both inside from inside the studio perspective, where I used to work with major shows that everybody's heard of uh, to now what I'm doing here with Catalyst, which is all the independent TV world. Yeah. I'm interested in learning more about that for sure in your career. Yeah. It's uh you know, I started HBO back in 2004. I was a contract analyst um, at the business affairs department uh, with, and we worked on titles like Sopranos, Six Feet Under, Sex and the City, Curb Your Enthusiasm, all the big ones. So I got to learn how TV works from the, from the inside, from the business side um, and, and on the major shows. Um, and after a few years, I got involved with what at the time was called the Independent TV Festival that started in Los Angeles, uh, ITV Fest. It was back in 2006. Uh, I didn't start it. A couple of friends did, uh, AJ and Jenny Tesler, who were TV producers. And back then, at their, I remember at their first festival, they were holding a panel discussion with some network TV executives, and they were having a conversation about this new website that had just launched at the time called YouTube.com. And they were having this conversation about how would digital and distribution and the ability for people to hold digital cameras ever pose a threat to major network television business models. And of course the consensus uh, from the network side was absolutely not. There's no way that cat videos would ever challenge, you know, an NBC primetime show. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, uh, but AJ and Jenny started this organization uh, for the sole purpose of doing something that didn't exist then and barely exists now, which is we don't focus on film. We're not a film festival. We're not a film school. We're not a film organization. We focus exclusively and solely on television and episodic projects. And while to the general consumer at home, you watch film and TV, you know, interchangeably on your on your TV set. From an industry perspective, there are different industries. There are different business models. There are different economic models. The business model behind TV is fascinating, and it's far different from film. Um, and you know, we're doing here at Catalyst what Sundance did for independent film back in the. Uh, late 70s, early 80s, we're doing the same thing for independent TV, which is giving people a place and a platform where they can have their episodic stories heard and progress within the industry and meet the right people they need to meet on the TV side. Um, happy to talk more with you uh, about the yeah, TV and film as we go. I got, I got, so, I got so many questions, but I'm going to let Alan yeah. ask a question about yeah. it. And Alan, boy, why didn't we know how YouTube was going to blow up right at the beginning? Don't you wish, Alan, we knew that? Yeah, I definitely wish that and, and Apple stock and everything else. Yes, but see, maybe he would have been our guru. 
maybe Philip would have been our guru. Maybe we just have to start, ha I guess, hanging out with me. We might find out what the next big thing is. And maybe Philip will give us some secrets. You never know. Because I'm going to go with really where things are going, Alan. I don't have cable at all. I use all OTT networks to watch all my shows now. I'll go buy a Netflix. I'll go because I can watch my local TV on on my on my smart television it's just a totally different animal and world and i'm interested to know how he defines that and how uh, it's interesting but go ahead what question do you have for phil well how did you get started in this to begin with yeah you know i kind of have my oh i accidentally got into hollywood story like everybody else seems to have um i was working uh in los angeles after i graduated from college in boston and <clears throat> Um, wanted to be involved in the TV realm. My degree is actually in physics and mathematics. And so there turned out that there was this need for a math major uh, type of position over at HBO. And I met a couple of people out at Barney's Beanery in West Hollywood one night who happened to work in the finance division of HBO at the time. And we all, you know, we, we, got, uh, we got saucy together and we were drinking and I was talking about how I wanted to work inside TV. And, um, and they said, well, there's this you know, position open in the business affairs department, you should, uh, you should apply for it. So I did. And four weeks later, I started working there. And within a couple of months, I got to meet a lot of the execs from the production side and the business side and really get to know the crew over there. Um, and it was fun. It was a great team. It was the early 2000s, right? It was the golden age of HBO. Um, but at the same time, there was this thing brewing, which was internet. And I remember there was an exec across the hall from me who I would constantly go over and just say, hey, got some new ideas for some, some short digital series, got some new ideas. You guys, are you guys doing internet stuff yet? Are you building apps? Um, and you know, it, it, it took a while to get there. But um, you know, one, of the, one of the more interesting stories about that time is we, HBO almost bought Netflix back in its beginning. Um, there was a lot of discussion between the West Coast office and the East Coast office about whether or not to buy Netflix back in, I think it was like, I don't know, right around that time, or early 2000s. Um, obviously, they, they decided not to, but imagine how different the world would be today if they had. Well, it sounds like you're very passionate about what you do. Yeah, well, storytelling is what we all do every day. So, you know, whether you're, whether you're just waking up in the morning and, and going to work, you're, you're working with other people and you're collaborating and you're storytelling and, you know, whether it's the, you're talking about the fictional worlds that you watched on TV the night before, or however it is, it, storytelling is just one of those industries that impacts all of our daily lives. And obviously it's what you guys do here with the, with the radio show too. Radio show, television show, podcasting, YouTube, all those different things. The Jack, yeah. of all, you know, in a different conversation, I was talking to somebody that hosts a show on Revolt TV uh, today. So it's that's where the we're going into. What is the difference, man, with is a series a television show? Meaning is a series like Stranger Things, is that considered under the TV genre? How do you define the difference between a movie and a television? Based yeah, on you're, you're getting straight to the heart of why we exist and why we're so unique. So as I alluded to earlier, we don't do film. There are hundreds of film schools. There are thousands of film festivals. The film business model is very well defined. Uh, it's just a matter of going out, raising your money, making your film, taking it to festivals, selling the distribution rights. That's, that's a well-oiled machine. We know how that works. Um, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, and IndieWire, they know how to cover it. They just get press memos about deals that happen and they reprint them in the trades, right? Easy, that, that stuff's done. Um, Indie TV is entirely different because 
when you go to make an episodic show, you have to think differently from the start in your creative process. TV is a collaborative creation process, whereas film can be very individualistic. So you have a lot of people who want to be directors and writers kind of under the auteur model that they teach in a lot of film schools. And they just want to be the next Steven Spielberg kind of person who's in charge of their own film. They're right. going to tell their story their way and it's going to change the world. And that's great. And that's what film is for. When you get into the TV realm, you have a writer's room of multiple people that are all going to be working on the dialogue of different episodes. You have multiple directors that shoot different episodes at the same time. You have different producers that are collaborating all the time. You don't walk into a TV network and say, hey, I want you to give me $100 million for 10 years just to be in, and I'm going to be in charge of my own show. That's not the way it works. You need to work up and through the industry. So that's why the indie TV realm is becoming so popular with creators and audiences, because we see hundreds and hundreds of new shows every year that don't go on to network because they don't go through the existing model. They bypass it and they go straight online or they go straight to audience distribution at places like our festival. And so you're actually getting to see the TV shows of tomorrow before they get into and chewed up by the industry system. So you're seeing the story the way that the artist really wants you to, to know it before it goes into development and goes through that entire process. So that's what's so fascinating about indie TV is Whereas with indie film, the business model is you can prepare some type of an ROI calculation when you go to an investor and pitch them to, to give you money to make your indie film. With indie TV, that's absolutely, with TV in general, that's absolutely impossible, right? You don't know how many seasons it's going to be. You don't know how many episodes it's going to be. You don't know how many people you need. You don't know how much money you're going to need. So TV is a fascinatingly different investment model um, and creative model. And we're one of the only few organizations in America that actually is a showcase for independent episodic content. Alan, this is fascinating because the television is not the television I grew up with and it sure as heck is not the television you grew up with. And I'm excited about the where it's going because I'm in the entertainment industry and I'm fascinated like hearing about shows like this from Revolt TV. Uh, I had Demetria Obeler on my show just uh, a couple of minutes ago. And I'm like, what? Revolt TV? What's this? So I'm learning every day. And the catalyst, I'm sure, knows about these things before they happen. That's the thing. He already knew about YouTube before it happened, Alan. But go ahead with your next question for him after what you've heard a little bit about with television. Because he is a definitely a mind to understand the difference between them. Because I know you watch Netflix all the time. And you know I see less and less movies on Netflix. And I bet you he could tell us that, too. Well, what? One thing I'd like to understand about this is, is I said you've got a passion for what you do, but you know what what you're telling me, I, I've never heard about this before. I mean, the the deep deep uh, thought that you put into this and how how much television is different than the, the film industry, and I mean, this is just uh, it's amazing information that you're putting out. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the reasons you're seeing a lot of the big the big industry mergers happening, and I think the story that that we tell is actually not an art. It, it's not one about arts, right? I guess we're, we're, a, we're a 501c3 charity, just like Sundance is. We have a year round educational institute where we do TV education. So yes, in one facet, we are an arts educational charity. The real core of the story that we're working and to put out into the world is a business story. And what I mean by that is we watch audiences who see the content that we see and the content is so good. 
and it's so direct in its storytelling and it's so passionate and it's so raw. Audiences don't really know or care about the difference between what they're seeing through Catalyst and what they're seeing on something like Netflix. Here's the difference. The creators that are making the shows that we screen and that we see are making them on about 70 to 80% of smaller budget than what the major networks and studios are making. So imagine if on CNBC tomorrow, there was a story about a new car dealer or a new car maker that came out and was able to make Teslas that were equal in quality, but it's 70% fewer cost. There'd be a massive story, right? Well, that's what's happening with indie TV. Creators are now capable of making shows that audiences will watch at 70% less of the budget than the major networks are spending. And so now you have this kind of sub world of indie TV going on where you have creators and audiences speaking directly to each other instead of having to go in and through the existing system. And it's, it's super exciting, but at its core, it's a very powerful business story because once you put storytelling tools in the hands of people with stories to share and you give them a distribution method that requires absolutely nobody's permission or approval, that's how you change the world. You know, and I, I, I totally see what you're doing and understand it. And it's like, it's a no brainer, but it's not a no brainer. It's like, you're, you're, you're speaking to me and understanding things, but these shows, when they come to you into these festivals, what to expect at a festival like Catalyst that's coming up again in Minnesota next week, right on the 20, is it the 26th you said? Or uh, September 28th through October 1st. Uh, September 28th, October 1st. Tell me specifically enough what how these shows before they get sold to Netflix, before they get sold to Amazon, before they get sold to specifically maybe become a pilot, that mm -hmm. process that you're seeing now, which I don't think was a process before, right? It used to be someone created it, had a screen, a screen, writing something, they sent it to something, it ended up being shot as a pilot and you know pilot season has pilot season died and now it's more going into this direction before the next step it is yeah the we all know that traditional network tv is, is you know is, is dying right um our internal data shows that less than five percent of the people under the age of 25 in our orbit um have ever watched something on a legacy network they watch all of their tv online uh, whether that's through social media channels or other streamers like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or whatever. So that's step one. Um, the second part of it is it's really a business market because look, I'm not independently wealthy. If I was, or if I was a type of investment strategy person and who likes to invest in the film industry, I would look real seriously what's going on in, in the indie TV realm. Because if I came in with a couple million dollars right now, swept up all the rights to these shows that are, really good and hanging out there on the independent TV marketplace, I'd make a really good return when all of a sudden five or six of them start getting picked up by the streamers, right? Mm -hmm. So our job is to try to bring together the audiences, the general public audiences who really don't know about the quality of the indie TV realm. Because like you said, it's only about 10 years old, really, uh, at the point where the quality has been good enough that audiences will, will really like love to watch it. Um, so our job is to bring together those audience members bring together the industry people whose job is to find new storytellers and new shows, but also bring in the financial investment and business piece because it's really an untapped marketplace. I'm sure over the last 10 years or so, since YouTube really became um, uh, 
kind of a TV platform, you probably keep hearing the term wild, wild west. The internet is just the wild west of content, right? right. Well, we've tamed it. We curate it. Um, you can now just come to Catalyst and see the 50 to 100 best shows that are created around the world every year on independent budgets. And if you're in that realm, you can option them. You can buy them. You can meet the creators. You oh can work God. with them. Oh um, and so that's, I think, the, the story that's starting to get out there is it's not the Wild West anymore. And there's a place that you can actually go uh, to enjoy it and discover it and do business at it. And, and that's what Catalyst is for. Definitely putting some financial piece into this, Alan, and this just happened this way that he came out of the woodwork and Alan is my co-host is a financial guy. So, <laughs> it, and he's taught me stuff now because I don't know if you watched that new special on Netflix about spending, uh, it's uh, about money and people's budgets and different things like that and how they're investing in the market. This guy blows this away and I'm like, oh my gosh, but it, hey, I'll have to figure that out. Maybe next festival, not this year, but the next year I'll have to come cover it. And I'll be like, this is a perfect time to invest, right? You're telling me, because that impresses me to see that. So I'm going to throw this back to Alan, but I have one more question before I give Alan his last question. But go to Alan, another question for him. Well, I, I don't really have another question. I just, uh, I'm very, very excited about learning what I've learned today from you, because I'm, I'm going to go, go research this on the internet. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And that's a that's a great answer because he knows there's the next big thing. As we talked about, if we would have known about this YouTube, if you would have called me, Philip, and learned about this YouTube thing, I wouldn't be, I'd be, I think, a little bit bigger because I know how to <laughs> dominate and be an entertaining guy. If I could have been the first on YouTube, who knows what would happen. Okay, so what shows have come through Cat Catalyst Film Festival that now is on a specific network? Do you have any of those stories? That is the great difference between film and TV. So when you go to a film festival, the films that you're seeing are completed projects for sale, right? They're done. You don't need to develop them. You don't need to do anything with them. You just buy them off the screen and you put them in theaters and you distribute them. With TV, it doesn't work that way. So the model of... I go to a, uh, a film festival, buy a thing, and three weeks later, it's on Netflix. That doesn't happen with TV because what you're seeing here are concepts. So instead of it being like going to a car dealership, think of it like going to the Detroit Auto Show where you're seeing concepts of future cars that are going to come out in the next five or 10 years. That's what you're seeing at Catalyst. So what happens with us is the shows come in, they'll get, people will get signed by agents or managers, or they'll, they'll meet development executives or whatever. It can take five, seven, sometimes 10 years between the time they meet at Catalyst and, and that show moves forward. Um, but for example, you know, there were some talents who were on Apple TV Severance, who starred in some of the indie shows that won at the festival last year. There were a lot of directors that worked for major network TV that got their start in the indie TV realm. Um, so these concepts aren't something where you know, you see it in October and then in November it's on Netflix. One caveat to that is the international market. The, the international market is kind of ahead of the U.S. market in this, where they are starting to pick up independent TV shows and air them directly as they were originally made, whereas the U.S. market is still kind of reworking things. Um, but yeah, there have been a, a number of shows, lots of talent that have come through that have ended up out there. And to answer your question even more directly, I don't know that these shows require to be picked up 
and moved onto a network platform because they're already out there on the internet. They're already available to audiences to watch. They might be making more money now streaming it on YouTube or some other place or video or, or their, you know, some sort of way, an OTT network, which is Alan, the next big things, OTT. It's really is. It, it's everybody's creating their own OTT network now. And it's going to, as we've seen the competition or how much competitions out with Netflix now, it's such right. a big business. You're saying some of these come to the festival and they're already on networks. Is that they're all, yeah. And they already have audiences. I mean, there, there's one series that in particular comes to mind right now. That's, that's coming back to the festival this year. They have over a billion views online. Oh my gosh. They don't need uh, a, a deal from above from an Amazon or a Netflix, they already have an audience that's watched their content a billion times. And they're going to get paid more doing it, monetizing it themselves than going with the Netflix or Amazon. I mean, what would, what would you do? Would you just keep beating down, you know, the, the, the front over in, in LA or whatever to try to get the Holy grail meeting that you don't need anyway, because you already got an audience and money. I mean, the, the reason that you see uh, the, the Emmy, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences logo over my shoulder here is we're their official mentorship program. So when people are looking to get into the TV industry and learn and develop, they're starting to figure out that, you know what, they don't necessarily have to go the old traditional TV route in order to get awards and to get money and to get funding and to get audiences. So I actually would challenge that the old model that we've, we've learned from film festivals, which is sales and distribution at festivals is actually dead because a lot of these shows are coming in already with audiences. And what we're really seeing that's fascinating is when you bring a show in that has a billion views and you bring in a hundred other shows that each have a couple hundred thousand or a million views, or maybe something that's totally brand new, those audiences cross pollinate and they create this entire culture and network of their own just watching each other's stuff and telling each other their stories. Um, you know, I would just say to anybody listening, head over to the Catalyst website, go to the stories and shows page and just click through some of the trailers and some of the winners from last year. You'll be shocked at the quality of the shows and stories that are out there that you aren't seeing because I know the number one frustration we hear from audiences right now in the global TV marketplace is there's nothing good on or there's nothing good that speaks to me. I want stories that speak to me personally. Well, here's a place where you can find them all and the artists will be speaking directly to you. All right. You've been able to tell your story. It's a phenomenal story. Alan's going to give, a, give you a quick short story. I've been blown away since I met this man, Alan, because Alan literally ha has me in a different way think about how to save money. He's, he, okay. he's, he's different then Susie or Susie Orman and uh, Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with both of those people, sure, yeah. he believes in another way of investing. So go ahead and tell your story real quick and ask uh, uh, the final question to Philip. Philip, it's like you said, you, you've got to have a story. And I've got a story of the reason I got into this. I, I returned from the military in 1993. I was a Black Hawk instructor pilot. And I tell people how to safe landing for every takeoff and I dodged all the bullets. And I love serving my country. I love flying. I've had not a passion for anything until I became a financial advisor. Now, when I retired, I had a mortgage company and I did a couple other things. Didn't enjoy it. But uh, like I said, about 15 years ago, I had some tragic things happen to my family. My son became 100% disabled. He was married. And uh, he hadn't worked for three and a half years. And only after we got an attorney did he get his uh, Social Security disability. But his wife at age 39, I remember, I'll never forget this, January 5th. You always remember a certain date and time where you were at. 
But I remember January 5th, 2010, his wife, uh, Lynn, called me up. She said, Alan, I've got stage four pancreatic cancer. They've given me six months to live. And I was, de- or, or of course, our family was devastated. And she's the mother of right, my two granddaughters. They were seven and four at the time. And, but there was a huge problem that came in. My, there's no income coming in. And if it had not been for the terminal illness rider on Lynn's policy, my son would be bankrupt. And it took a huge financial strain off of me. And I was like 99% of the people out there that thought life insurance was a death product that you had to die to benefit from it. Well, it's not. It's a, it's a living product. It's a once product. It's the only product that will protect you if you live too long, die too soon, or you get sick. And what I do, and now that I've been in, I found out about what it does, I educate people on that. I've written five books on it. I've been seen on, um, as you see, Fox, NBC, CBS, CW, and, and uh, ABC. But my biggest thing, my passion is to educate people on the financial strategies out there that the wealthy and the financial institutions have been using for years. I'm different than 99% of all your, your uh, regular financial planners. I'm a certified financial fiduciary. But I, I, uh, I, te- I teach people different things that they've never heard of. And as I told uh, Neil, these things should be taught in high school, and they're not. And they're, they're only taught to me because I used to read one book in the military, and that was the operator's manual for the Black Hawk helicopter. Okay? I knew every nut and bolt in that thing, the stability augmentation system, the flight path stabilization system. But I read four or five books every month now because of the desire for me to educate people on what's available out there and to show them that you can also have a, a tax-free life. You can take advantage of the insurance policies for what they do, the benefits, the long-term care options. The, the list goes on and on. But people need to know about these things because it changes their financial future, just like what you're doing. You're changing the future of, of, of the video business, of, of television. And uh, I can't, I'm going to check Catalyst out here as soon as we get done. But uh you got a passion for what you do, and I got a passion for mine, and, and I, I congratulate you on what you do. Thank you, you as well. And it's so important because we talk all the time in our institute about how sometimes being an, an artist or a storyteller can you can feel like you're not successful unless you you win your Emmy or you sell your show. And a lot of what we end up doing is working on the financial side with creators in their own life to say, hey, look, if you paid your rent. And you got you got through another couple of months, and you're able to figure out a way to you know support your family and and get your story out there. Congratulations! You may not have sold your show or, or you know been holding an Emmy, but uh, you you've taken steps in the right direction. And I think sometimes those basic elements of just what daily, goes into daily life and security and the financial piece gets overlooked, and you know that's where we we work a lot with the intersection between business and arts, so that these storytellers can have a more solid financial future to be able to do the things that they love, which in turn, hopefully inspire, you know, other people to do what, you know, what they're talking about. So it's all, it's all connected in, in an interesting way. And Dave, Neil, it's fascinating that you, uh, you brought these two realms together in one conversation. I put, I put it's, it's, that's how I do it. I do it different yeah. than anybody else. And that's yeah. the thing. And it's my own platform. So you, to see it, somebody to take me off all my platforms and all my independent syndication, they got to pay me a lot of money. For me to yeah. get that, you know, because I enjoy what I do and all these things and we keep growing and we appreciate these stories. And it's all about storytelling at the end of the day. And I learned just something from you today, Philip, saying, man, I need to bring some angel investor of me to next year's film festival. Where can we find it? If anyone's right now here looking to make money, because if you say there's a better chance to make money now in television than investing in movies where people are not putting the budgets into them, where can they go? What's the best place? 
head over either head over to our website or come up to the festival. Uh, the Catalyst Content Festival starts September 28th through October 1st, or just come to any Catalyst Story Institute event around the country. Uh, we do events from coast to coast and top to bottom throughout the year. Just come be part of the community and start meeting the people. And once you once you get your your eyes on a couple of these shows and you start to get understand what's going on in the indie TV market, um, any savvy investor is going to want to be involved. Well, definitely appreciate it, Phil. Thanks again. Appreciate it, Alan. All right, guys, I appreciate it. All right, that was, uh, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment and also the media giant effect. I'm with my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? I, I guess I, this guy, I'm just a huge, huge fan of because of Flash Gordon. Because again, I watched that movie maybe 20 or 30 times and uh, growing up. And I'm going to ask him a few of those questions throughout this uh, conversation. But I first want to welcome my co-host, Kim. How are you? I'm doing great, Neil. I know that you have been so excited about this and that you cannot wait to talk to Sam. I've been pretty excited, too, as not just a Flash Gordon fan, but a fan of all of his work. All right. Well, fantastic. So introduce Sam for us. Great. Sam, welcome to the show. So glad that you are here. You've done so much. It astounds me that the very first thing I believe you did was the movie 10. Yes, and yes. right. And it was a number one box seller, right? The very first weekend that it opened, that had to be an incredible experience right out of the gate. And then oh, you've yeah. done so many things since then. You're a father, you're a grandfather. Mm -hmm. Sounds like those are a couple of things that you're very proud of. And Flash Gordon, of course, you will forever and ever and ever be Flash Gordon. So Sam, thank you for being here. We're excited to talk about An Unlikely Angel, also your newest thing. And thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yep, I got to play my first granddad, uh, grandpapa. And obviously in real life, I've, I'm a dad and a, a father of five and granddad of six. So uh, it's wonderful. And I've it was a great opportunity um, when they reached out to me uh, to do this movie. Uh, Darrell Nelson directed it. Rebecca Nelson wrote it. And um, they've been doing a lot of projects together for a long time. And I, I played the dad quite a few times. Uh, and now the uh, both now is the dad and the grandfather. And Jillian Murray, who played my daughter, did, did a wonderful job. And I, I love the story. It's uh it's something that we all deal with um, on a daily basis. When we watch the film, by the way, it's uh, it's on Pure Flix. And when we watch it, it'll have us sort of self-evaluating uh, our own lives, prioritizing, you know, what is important. Of course, we all of us have to work. That's what we're doing now. We have to provide. And how do we manage that? How do we manage that when we have not just children, but young children? and being able to spend quality time with them. So that's part of the story. And it's, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> it's a huge challenge for all of us. It, it's always a challenge of balancing things. And how did you do that in your career as an actor? Did you, were you able to do it? Were you good at it from the start or did it take time to understand? Oh, I, I'm, um, uh, well, let me see. Uh, my first child didn't come in until, well, my oldest is almost 40, so we're, I've been in the industry uh, 45 years. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what I did, and what's crazy, out of all the work I've done in 45 years, I've only seen, I've only seen half of my work. 
Um, I know it sounds crazy, but it, it came down to what we're talking about right now. It's uh, okay, kids, we're going to stay home and we're going to watch my shows on TV. But dad, what about taking me to dance? Dad, what about taking me to baseball? So we, we, you know, we, we make these choices. And um, so when some of the fans hear that I've only seen half my work, um, they'll send me uh, some of my older movies that were on three quarter or VHS, but it's now tra transitioned over to uh, digital or DVD. So that that's kind of cool. That is that's that's pretty fun. Yeah, I I found the same thing though. It is really tough when you have kids and to try to make that balance happen when you're working and you're trying to build something. You know, it's not like you're necessarily established uh, yeah. when you're having small children. And and uh, one thing that I have found as my children have grown is they're very, very good as adults at letting me know all the things that I did wrong. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, we, we aren't perfect. You know, we we can sit there and point fingers and blame others. Well, it's the pressure of the business. You know, it's so funny that there's a funny um uh, incorrect statement that started in Hollywood. I don't know who started it, but man, it just went like wildfire. And the statement was always that the film industry is unpredictable. I disagree completely. The film industry is predictable that it will always be inconsistent. Okay? <laughs> it's true. It will always be inconsistent. So what are we prepared to do about that? Are we going to stick to a label um, and say, well, I'm just an actor. I'm just a reporter. I'm, I'm, I'm just a physicist. I'm just a truck driver. Are we going to change that label and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a working man. I'm a working woman. I'm going to do anything in my power to, uh, to provide as long as it's legal. Let's just, you know, let's just address that. I'm going to do anything I can to be a working person. And uh, I had that revelation uh, thank God, uh, my, my wife was very instrumental in encouraging me, and I had that revelation, that light bulb moment, uh, just over 20 years ago, when the film industry sort of, for me, slowed down a little bit. And that it slowed down for you a little bit in that process, like when you said when you were raising kids and stuff like that. How did you balance, like when you were on set all the time and being able to see them and things like that? When you're well, they understood when I'm on when we're on set, uh, we're working. It's work. You know, uh, it's it's a work environment, and uh, they they understood that. Uh, now, when my uh, my second series I did was 1988, so my youngest son, which is almost 40, he would have been four or five. I can't do the math right now, and I would fly him in. You know, a lot of times he'd fly in uh, with the crew or, you know, <laughs> with one of the secretaries or something like that. One of the, one of the production people and we were in Arizona. So he, yeah, I would, he, I'd fly him in and he would be part of that as a youngster. And of course we would have a tutor on the set if he was in kindergarten or first grade, um, do that. But yeah, I mean, the kids have always known that it's work. Um, it's, it's the choices we make at that point. Um, uh, as parents, as adults, where, where do we stop it? Where does it end? Meaning, okay, uh, we've wrapped for the day, okay? The shooting schedule, the filming is over. So what do we do at that point? Do we continue to go out and party? They're gonna go party or go out to some place. Uh, and if we have uh, children, of course, we, we, we have to make those choices. So, yeah. 
What was that transition like for you, though, to go from set to home? Like, it, you know, when when you're on well, set, you you must be all in. Well, and- yeah, well, you have to be. I mean, I I learned in the early years from Max Feinstein on Flash Gordon and people like Brian Blessed, who would set the example, and they, they were very clear. And I, a lot of times, they didn't have to say anything. You just observe. And that's something we need to do in uh, uh, any industry we're in. I don't care what it is. We need to be, we need to show up on time. And on time means anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes early, by the way. Um, and we need to show up prepared, not just, okay, I think I got it. We need to be uh, better prepared than anybody else. And we need to be excellent listeners. That That's the, the key thing that I learned uh, uh, in, in the very beginning um, with that. And then um, once it's over, especially if you're on location, uh, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, it's easier if you're filming in the area where you live and you go, you actually go to your home each night. Uh, but if you're on location, you either go back to your, you know, your, your hotel room or whatever it is, uh, an apartment sometimes if you're, um, but yeah, it's um, uh, prioritizing. It's uh, <laughs> it's funny, but I think if we just keep it simple, this is my new motto. I don't know what you want to call it. It's no great mystery. I don't know why, especially we as men, Neil, why it takes us years to figure this out, but we need to oversimplify. We really do. Okay. Common, uh, uh, common sense, practical thinking and just keep it simple. What makes, there's no great mystery here prioritize especially when it comes to family and that's that's important this film is that showing that right and tell me more of the premise of the film yeah uh, uh, an unlikely angel on pure flicks um really it's about my daughter again played by jillian murray and she's wonderful and she's uh, uh she's faced with all this night and her work uh, she's in a senior level leadership uh, position and so she has a lot more responsibility um and then of course uh, young young child but there's and a lot of times if we don't get it you know if we don't see the the big picture in front of us uh then um and, and and it's good to pray and we should always pray but sometimes if we're not looking for that divine intervention then the, the good lord has a way of doing things sometimes he'll just on his own he'll um implement that divine intervention and a lot of times it it may not be pretty you know the the divine intervention itself might have some incredible challenges so this is sort of a shocking twist and there's some even though it's faith-based there's some really good surprise I i shouldn't use the word shocking but really big surprise twists with divine intervention et cetera et cetera and uh, again, as we watch it, we, we, we can relate. We can say, wait a minute. I, yeah, I need to maybe, I need to maybe reevaluate my choices and, and my thinking. So yeah, that's, it's, it's wonderful. You know, it's interesting to me you know, it, that it is faith-based. And I, I read that when you go to like a Comic-Con, uh, I don't know if you're still doing that, but when you show up and, and uh, thrill the fans and sign some, uh, Flash Gordon pictures and whatever, that if someone comes to you that is facing cancer or facing something, mm. you don't just say, I'm sorry and send them on their way, but yeah. you do more than that. 
Well, this is the platform. We you we all have our platform, right? And um, yeah, I don't you know the 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 Bible, especially the Old Testament, is very clear. Uh, I'm a proverb. I'm an old proverbs guy, you know, from the Old Testament. And why? See, in my mind, uh, I've only been I've been a Marine in my mind still for 50 years. I've only been an actor for 45 years. So proverbs for me, I like to hear, I like to hear you tell me, especially if I'm up for a part, I'd rather you tell me, no, Sam, we don't want you, but don't put me in a pending mode for days, weeks, months. Just say, no, we don't want you. We're going to move on. I say, great. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, so with that said, proverbs, is, there's no gray area. It, it, you know, it, it, if you make these choices today, you are a wise person. However, if you make these choices today, you're really acting like a fool. So, so I need to hear that. And, and, and with my choices um, uh, in, in the film industry and, and everything else, uh, I, I, I apply it that way. Um, and um, I think I got off on a little rabbit trail right there. No, my no, wife says, no, so, so what you're saying about Proverbs, what is... You, yeah, well, yeah, well, but no, no, specifically with your question, dear. Um, my wife says, "Watch the rabbit trails." I know you're trying to be give teachable moments, but you, you got to be careful and make sure you stick to the script on exactly what they. So the, the specific question you asked me um, in regards to that, applying it towards the the, the film industry, um, what was the specific question? Like when you when you're signing autographs and somebody yes, comes to you. you. Yeah. You. Yeah. Well, there's the platform. Okay. So, um, and I always ask people when they come up to me, how you doing? And it's funny. It's funny how we're not good listeners, especially when we're walking by somebody, but when they come up to the table, I always ask them, how you doing? They go, great. Fantastic. Great to see you, Sam. And also it's their opportunity. Uh, I let them know to tell me, uh, tell me your story. But sometimes I'll get, like you just said, uh, uh, Morgan, you said, uh, I say, how you doing? And and the person says, well, uh, not too good. I said, well, what's up? Now, remember, the line is behind them about another 20 feet. So they're at my table. It's one-on-one. -on -one. We're talking low. We're not broadcasting anything. And they'll say, I said, well, what, what's going on with this? They said, well, I'm fighting stage four cancer. Mm. So what should my reply be at that point? Should, as you said, should I say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through that? Uh, now, would that be the autograph or the selfie or will it be the combo, will it be the combo pack? I mean, come on. I mean, you know, this is, this is, this is it. Uh, and I've really come up with this saying now, which has been around for years, but if not me, then who? If not you, then who? This is the opportune time. It's funny how our brain works. We'll say, well, you know, this is kind of an uncomfortable situation. And, you know, somebody else will take care of them. No, this is it. This is this may never happen again. So I'll just grab their hand. I don't even ask them. And I know it's uh, I know it's kind of crazy to even think that. But I don't do some big thing. I'll just grab their hand and say, come here. Uh, I want you to be in agreement with me right now. And, uh, and I'll, I'll just say a prayer. I'll take authority. It may take five seconds. It may take 10 seconds, uh, probably no more than that. But I address the situation, not on my power, not on their power, which they've been fighting for a long time because I, I've been there. And I'll, I'll ask the Lord to come in and, and uh, you know, that we present this to him and that we're in agreement for total healing and, um, and good. And they will, and they'll, 
they've been wanting to share this with somebody, especially somebody that is, you know, they're me or the character that I played uh, was their hero growing up. And now at my table, I'll get all the generations. I'll get grandfather, son, grandson, grandmother, daughter, granddaughter, and it's wonderful. But that this is our this is our platform, and there's nothing to do with politically correct or politically incorrect. This has nothing to do with politics. This has to, to do with somebody is is hurting right now, and I, we are put in a position to address it in a very low profile but powerful powerful way in asking God to come in and divine intervention on their behalf. I think that that's, that's amazing that you use your status as a celebrity to help others and bring the message. And that's so, so important. When you talk about what message would you want to give Flash Gordon fans? You know, because I mean, I don't know how, what was the reason I was so hooked by that film, watching it over and over again in different scenes and different ways and how it took off. But what message you want to give Flash Gordon fans right now? That, you know, they're saying, well, where is Sam Jones? I didn't know where he was. Oh, wow. you know, and then now, you know, going, going in this, you know, on my celebrity platform with the number 12 celebrity podcast in the world, according to Feedspot and other places saying, oh, that's Sam Jones. What message you want to give to Flash Gordon fans? Well, Neil, that I'm, I'm on your show. Okay. That's where I am right now. I'm on your show. But I, uh, the, the cool thing about Flash Gordon, and, and that's uh, other than an unlikely angel here on Pure Flix, our brand new film. Um, it's primarily you brought me on because of Flash Gordon. And here's, I call it the triple blessing. Why is it the triple blessing? Well, number one, uh, when we do things in life, uh, no matter what industry, um, the first blessing is getting hired. Second blessing is whatever we do, if the project does well, if we do well. And what we're talking about right now, after all these years, um, longevity. Longevity is the triple blessing. Well, why has Flash Gordon lasted so long? I think it has to do with, he's just a guy, okay? He's one of the few superheroes who does not have superpowers. Right. Uh, his character in the movie, he's the quarterback for the New York Jets. He's an, he, he's an athlete. Again, he doesn't have any superpowers. So what does that mean to the, for all of us? The com, I'm a common man, or the common man, the common woman. What does that mean? It means, oh my gosh. If this guy can do it, he's not flying around. He doesn't have super strength. Well, by golly, if he can do it, then I can do that. And that's the message. And that's why I believe the international world um, really relates to uh, Flash Gordon. That's a great I, I love that. Yeah, I love mm -hmm. that. And, and even bringing it back to what you were saying about um, when you pray with somebody or whatever, it comes down to humanity. You know, people yeah. are people all over the world. We're all we're all in it for the same thing. We're all here. Yeah. We should all be here to help each other. And I love too, what you say about listening, because yeah. what a difference it makes when you really actually listen to what somebody has to say, instead of assuming what they're going to say based on their yeah. politics or where they live or whatever, but, mm -hmm. but to take people as individuals yeah. and really listen to them really makes a difference in life. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of times walking down the street, you, you know, I'll say, how you doing to somebody? I remember over the years, how many times I say, how you doing? Usually everybody goes, good. How you doing? Good. And then a couple of times over the years, I didn't address it because I thought, well, maybe he didn't say that because when you're, you know, when guys are walking by each other, they pass. 
So I, I said, I asked that guy, how's, how's he doing? Did he just say not too good? No, he couldn't have said that, but he kept walking, you know, he kept, but he did say that he did say, I'm not doing good. And again, we just brush it off. He, now he's what, 20, 30 yards away. While I'm thinking about it, I went, oh, you know, somebody else would take care of that. No, it's, <laughs> there's the time right there. Exactly. Now, Kim has a question regarding her book she wrote, Love Is. Go ahead, Kim, with that question. Yeah. So, Sam, I, I took a year to really search and figure out what love really is, because it seems to be this mystery, but yet God is love. So, you know, what does it mean then to be love? It apparently is something that you are. And the things that I found out just kind of blew my mind. And and uh, there are so many things about love that I never knew before. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma. Um, wow. I lost my husband a few years ago, so I'm oh, no sure. longer a wife, wow. but I was a good one. I was a good wife <laughs> when I had the opportunity to be one and he was a great guy. But um, thinking about love and what it's meant in your life and what it means in your life now compared to maybe 30 years ago, have things changed? Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress. I think for us guys, uh, it's about getting over ourselves, okay? So, yeah, when I started to learn, as my wife was very instrumental in the early years, she said, yeah, you need to get over yourself. Um, yeah, that, that, I think that's the big obstacle. I, I gave an example. I think seven years into our marriage, I went to my pastor and I said, you know, my wife's getting on my nerves. I, 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 don't, I don't have the same feelings for her. Actually, uh, I'm thinking about getting a divorce. And he said to me, he said, and he, he took the Bible out. Again, every, what you're talking about right now, what is our foundation? Okay, we talk about love. What is our foundation? Where are we getting this from? What's our doctrine in life? Uh, so my foundation has always been, what does God have to say about this? So, so my pastor was so cool. He didn't get religious on me. Matter of fact, if you have a religious pastor in your life, don't walk away. Run as fast as you can. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> He should be real. And should be talking like this. Anyway, he's, he put the Bible on the desk. He said, "Show me in the Word, in the Word, where we have to, where we have, we have to base our decisions on how we feel." And he astounded me. I said, you know, "Feel." Matter of fact, uh, you know, shock a lot of people, but the uh, uh, <laughs> the Word is very clear. Following your heart uh, is not only wrong; it's foolish. And some translations call it stupid. Okay. I'm not making this up. This is not my doctrine. Uh, so um, he said to me, he said, do me a favor. And I heard what you said about your wife. Okay. I got that. I hear that a hundred times. Okay. Uh, he says, I've even thought of that even as a pastor. He said, but do me a favor. You may not feel like loving her right now. And, and this is the, this is the long question, but the, uh, the long answer, but he, here's the meat of, of the answer. He said, do me a favor. You may not feel like loving her, but for the next seven days to 14 days, just serve her, serve her needs, no matter what it is, serve her. And uh, he said, if you just serve her with a pure heart, without, you know, gritting your teeth and all this, then you will, I, I guarantee you, 
you will fall in love with her all over again. And I did that. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. And this magical, and he forgot to tell me one important thing, uh, but, but he knew what he was talking about because he knew it would happen. The magical thing that happens when we put others first before ourselves is, oh my gosh, we usually get anything we want, anytime we want, when we put their needs first. It's remarkable. Isn't that remarkable? But we're so, ooh, me, me, me. Now, my, in those years, my wife would have done anything I'd asked, but she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it with joy, you know? When, when, when us guys do this and we demand you, you got to do this now, you got you to send that, you know, back then when I, you know, before I learned to type, you know, emails, you got to send this email for me now, you got to do this now. Well, our wives are going to do it. But again, we, we diminish them. We wow. diminish them and we steal their joy. So, yeah, if we just so in love, if we just and that's love, if we just serve the other person's needs, no matter if we want to or not, it magic so spiritual wow. magic from the good lord happens and it's uh, happened every time all right and that's fantastic and sam the movie now is available on on pure flicks everyone can check it out pure flicks Un unlikely angel it's there all right and we appreciate it, sam where can people follow you are you on social media to, for all um, those yeah i'm all that social media oh my gosh do you have it there here let me see i got it right here and kim i'm sorry i called you morgan uh, and by the way I need a copy of your book, so make sure you 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 do this. We'll definitely do that before the interviews after the interviews over. But where can we follow you? Probably find Sam Jones anywhere, right? On yeah, I'm going to give it to you right now. All right. You don't mind. We okay. Here it is, right here. Uh, well, Facebook is Sam Jones. Okay. Right? Twitter is at Real Sam J Jones at Real Sam J Jones. And Instagram is the Sam J. Jones. <laughs> All right. We appreciate it, Sam. Such great information. You definitely uh, put your ego to zero in so many ways. And that's what's important to be able to serve others and help others. So we appreciate you coming on. And, and Flash Gordon, everyone, all Flash Gordon fans are so glad to hear what you're doing now. So take care. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.